Hello, this is Will Stoller for Payday Loan Industry Watch, PLIwatch.org, which produces this podcast. PLI Watch is an independent source for news and information about what's happening in the payday loan and cash advance industries. We're able to bring you this service based on donations and sponsorships. The content of this podcast is unlikely to reflect the views of sponsors or donors. This is PLIwatch.org podcast number seven and is for the week of July 10th. Joining us this week is Lawrence Myers, formerly a writer for The Motley Fool, a major financial publication, and currently a partner in Sabric Enterprises, a firm that helps payday lenders obtain money to grow their businesses. Mr. Myers holds a BA from Cornell University, an MA from the University of Southern California, and is a member of both the Writers Guild of America and Writers Guild of Canada. When working for The Motley Fool, Larry was the only U.S. journalist to comprehensively cover the payday lending industry's stocks and related legislative issues. From Sabric Enterprises about Sabric Enterprises, quote, Sabric Enterprises is a private equity firm that provides expansion capital to payday lenders. Sabric also assists Texas-based payday lenders in converting to credit services organizations, CSOs, and providing them with third-party lenders. They also provide software and collection agency referrals, unquote. We're covering a wide range of issues today with Larry. Larry provided straight-from-the-hip answers to our questions about the industry. Let's go. Larry, welcome. We're happy to have you. Thanks for having me, Will. Thanks. I guess let's start with an easy question. When we interviewed Emily Davidson and Valerie Miller from Credit.com, we asked them how much they thought the payday loan industry was worth. Here's what Valerie said about its value. There is very little oversight or consistent understanding of how the businesses operate from state to state, from lender to lender. The payday loan industry itself is a lot smaller than the traditional lending industry, but it's not clear about how many people are turning to these loans. Now, to follow up with that, I've read that it's a $40 billion industry, a $20 billion industry, and amounts in between. Do you have an opinion or hard facts about how large the industry is, and where does that amount place it within the overall U.S. credit industry? Yeah, it, you know, it's it's very difficult to place a firm value on, on the payday lending industry as a whole because about two-thirds of it is actually privately held. Since these companies are not required to release financials, there's really no telling how much business they actually do. But what we can do is extrapolate the information from the most recent annual reports provided by the public companies. And when we do that and extrapolate it across the entire industry, what we find is that last year in 2005, about $25 billion in payday loans were made across 70 million transactions to 13 million customers. To put that into into context, when you, you look at the total mortgage debt in the United States in 2005, that was about $11 billion. But on the credit card side, which is really interesting, there were 22 billion transactions amounting to almost $2 trillion. Wow, that's a significant amount of money. Uh, it is. Uh, you know, that to me sh- certainly shows that there's there's a demand for the product. When you're doing $25 billion in loans to 13 million customers, that says to me, 13 million customers, that's only about 4% of the American population, but still that's 4% who have a need for $25 billion, and they're not getting it anywhere else. Thanks for that information. Your firm, Sabric Enterprises, lends money to payday lenders. Can you tell us more about what it's like to lend to the payday loan industry? What are the unique challenges a lender like yours faces? Tell us more. Well, lending money to the payday lending operation, uh, to any payday lending operation, is itself a very risky venture. 
since two-thirds of the industry is independently owned and operated, a lot of payday lenders are actually started by entrepreneurs. They put in their own money. They get a small business loan against collateral. But at some point, they you know will hit three or four stores, and they'll run out of capital to fund for their loans or to expand. For the most part, they could just sit around and build their business on their three or four stores, but it's going to take a couple of years to generate enough free cash flow to open new stores. And that is where we can help. What we do is we carefully evaluate each individual operation. We make sure they've got a stable operating history, they know what they're doing, and that they've got a firm handle on defaults because defaults are the thing that will make or break any payday loan business. What are some examples, uh, if you don't mind, that are clear and stable indicators apart from the defaults of a strong, steady, growing, thriving payday loan business? Well, you want to see an increase in uh, what's called receivables, or really, in other words, loans that are being made from the point at which you open your doors uh, as a payday lending operation. You know, you should be doing maybe $100,000 in loans after the first year per month. And we want to see that kind of um, volume before we're going to get involved. We want our operators to have some sort of experience in, in the business, even if it's only a couple of years. If we can get a sense that they have customers, that they're coming in on a regular basis, that they are returning to the same operator as opposed to going to another uh, competing enterprise that's down the street, for example, then we know that this is an operator who seems to know what they're doing. Do you encourage your operators to use things like Teletrack, a database, talk with one another? I mean, can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, well, all the all the independent operators will use Teletrack and various forms of uh, software to track people's loans and how many they have and how many uh, might be out and so on and so forth. So we do like to be hands-on, but we don't like to get in the way. Uh, if they know what they're doing running their business, then why should we mess it up? But we do encourage them to consult with us, uh, and we are happy to do it on anything from how a store should be laid out to how they design their advertising flyers. So unlike maybe a bank who's just going to give them the money and go away, we encourage our clients to use our extensive business experience to their advantage. They're getting some value to add it, and they're not going to get that with a bank. One of the things that's interesting is that you seem to have a good open dialogue with payday loan companies. So I'm going to ask this next question for you. Payday loan company execs and staff tend to keep under the radar. As a group, they're almost impossible to reach. The companies themselves seem to intentionally choose almost identical names, making it hard to tell one apart from another. They're very guarded when they speak with you. It's all part of some sort of defense mechanism. I guess my question is, it's a defense mechanism against what? Um, These companies are not running illegal operations. You know, why be so tight-lipped and unreachable? Is it strictly an image issue, or is there something else going on? Well, a lot of it depends on who exactly it is that you talk to. Let's take maybe a small independent owner-operator. The truth is these are people that's just – it's a cross-section of America. They're small business entrepreneurs. They're young couples in their 30s. They're southern businessmen in their 50s. They're minority owners. And the bottom line is these people are just like you and me. And the only thing they have in common is that they have a drive to succeed and to be entrepreneurs. So if you talk to these owner-operators, if you go into their store face-to-face, you're going to find a lot of actually very nice people who are there and believe in the product and want to help. On the side of the public companies, uh, when I was at the writing for The Motley Fool, I never had any trouble getting in touch with anyone in senior management at any payday loan company. And maybe it's because I mentioned that I was doing a positive article on the industry, but otherwise I suspect that if executives seem guarded or that they don't want to talk, it's because the mainstream media almost exclusively publishes negative articles. The 95%, I would say, of all press is negative. It's 
inaccurate for the most part, and it fails to present the industry in a fair and balanced light. Uh, the reason is because telling the story of how Grandma Kettle was taken advantage of by your local loan shark is a lot more dramatic than the 10,000 other stories of people who have been helped by a payday loan. I guarantee that if you go out, you ask 100 random payday loan customers how they feel about the product, 95% will tell you that they're grateful it exists. But part of the problem is the, the payday loan industry is badly losing the PR fight. And the reason is because there is no central organizing entity that's designed to protect them and to represent their interests. Meanwhile, the so-called activists have a bunch of different organizations that are supposedly fighting for consumers. And the industry has uh, made the, the classic political mistake of letting the other side define who they are. If you look, for example, at what just happened in Oregon, the allegedly pro-consumer group Our Oregon got an, an initiative which was going to show up on the ballot, uh, which would cut fees for payday loans uh, in Oregon. There was actually no cap on fees, and they were going to cut them to an effective rate of 6.5% or $6.50 per hundred $100 borrowed for every two weeks. And just by having the threat of that initiative going to the ballot, it forced the legislature to essentially pass legislation with those interest rates. And that will kill petty loan business in the state. It will kill it. You cannot operate profitably at $6.5 per hundred. What did the, the petty loan industry do? Nothing. They totally dropped the ball. They had no presence in Oregon. Uh, in fact, PLI Watch is, in fact, the first and only outlet that I've seen that has presented both sides of the issue fairly and uh, with neutrality. To answer your question about the names of the payday loan outlets, uh, you know, I actually don't think there's an intent to create a similarity of names because it's counter to every business edict you'd ever learn, which is you want to stand out from your competition and not appear similar. And as a writer, I can tell you that there are only so many ways to advertise a payday loan. How many words are you going to use? Fast, payday loan, advanced cash. You know, I'm out. I'm done. That's, so I don't think there's any t intent behind it. Well, you know, when you're looking at it for the first time, I guess, it, it almost looks too similar to be a coincidence. <laughs> so, well, uh, well, it's interesting. Having, having spoken to a few independent owner-operators who are looking to create websites to advertise or maybe to do loans, the complaint is, boy, all the good names are taken. And I said, well, you know, and we've sat and tried to come up with interesting names. And the problem is I really believe there's a limitation on how you can describe a payday loan in such a way that you get people to come to the website. Let me go ahead and, and skip forward a little bit now, talk a little bit about payday loan activism. Uh, we recently interviewed J.J. Selman of Sunflower Community Action about the industry, and we asked him straight up if a person had to choose between not paying a bill or taking out a payday loan to cover the bill, what should that person do? Now, here's what he said to that question from us. So, J.J., let me ask you a hard question. Let's say somebody's got a bill that's due. They can't make the payment. They don't have anywhere to go for the money. The alternatives that you've discussed, they aren't an option. There aren't any family members to give them money. They just don't have any money. Would you recommend that they not pay the bill, or would you recommend that they get a payday loan to be able to pay the bill on time? I'm not going to encourage anybody to get a payday loan. My advice would be to not pay the bill because at least the bill, you know, it's, it, it may draw some late fees and, and things of that nature, and you may be without light for a few days or a few weeks, but that bill is not going to build up over time 400 to 700% interest. And so I would advise people just to not pay the bill because if they get into the payday lending trap, it's going to get them there and it's going to keep them there, and it's, they're not going to be able to get out of it. Well, that's his opinion. First, when you do the math, is this a viable approach? And second, JJ was positive that the fees associated with payday loans were much, much higher than with other forms of credit. I guess, are they? And what's the math like on that scenario? 
Well, I, I heard your interview with, with Mr. Selman, and his answers, from my perspective, are a prime example of what I would consider an uneducated and unrealistic attitude that most PDL opponents have. When you listen to what Mr. Selman said, and if I can just quote him here, quote, my advice would be to not pay the bill. It may draw some late fees. You may be without light for a few days or a few weeks, end of quote. Well, that's great. So not only is your house dark, but all the food in your fridge is now spoiled. Now, you want to talk math, it's going to cost more than a payday loan fee just to replace the food that's in there because you haven't paid your power bill. And let's hope it's not summer because if it's hot, your air conditioning is, is going to be out as well, and you're going to be very uncomfortable. Now, that may sound silly at first, but the truth is it's reality. And a disruption in service means a disruption of life and finances in an indirect way. And Mr. Selman and those opponents who are like him live in this world of theory and not reality. As for his advice about paying the late fees... Now, just just to hop in there really quick, Mr. Selman does deal day-to-day with people who have been chewed up by the payday loan cycle. I would presume that his knee-jerk reaction to don't ever get a payday loan is directly because he's had to literally sit across from people and literally work through the fallout caused by irresponsible borrowing. Can you speak to that a little bit? That's a completely different scenario. When confronted in a situation where you have to pay a power bill and you have a $2,000, $2,000 in payday loans already outstanding, you do have a real problem. And the best thing to do is to negotiate with your creditors. You get on the line with your power company and try and hold them off. Another thing is to go to the payday lender themselves and say, listen, here's my situation. Now, hopefully, the person has made a good choice in terms of the lender that they've gone to And that lender, remember, they want to make their money back. They're interested in recovering their principal. If you go to them and say, listen, I'm broke and I cannot pay you. The payday lender needs and wants to recover as much of their principal and interest as possible. So in my experience, if you are dealing with an honest and reputable lender, they will work with you to make small payments every month until they get the money back. That option is always available to people. So are the fees associated with payday loans higher than other forms of credit? Uh, The answer is it depends. If you can get a hold of a credit card, you might be able to get a cash advance, which are running 24 to 30% APR, annual rate. In that case, of course, though, you better make sure you're not late on a payment because then you're going to get hit with late fees. Credit unions are also terrific alternatives. They offer loans that generally will run in the high teens if you have collateral or if you're employed. And any good consumer should shop around to find the best alternative for any product, whether it happens to be a payday loan or a television. Now, can payday loans become expensive? Absolutely. If they are used irresponsibly, and I'm sure Mr. Selman has a lot of experience with people who have used the loans uh, irresponsibly. And and to, to Mr. Selman's credit, he did indicate that was the case. Right. One thing to be aware of, and maybe this gives us an opportunity to discuss this issue of the payday loan debt trap that is uh, very often quoted. Dr. Thomas Lehman of Clemson University wrote a terrific article called In Defense of Payday Lending, which you can find by doing just a quick search online. And to paraphrase what he said, payday loans appeal to people with financial difficulties, and many of those difficulties are self-induced. And those are independent of the payday lending industry itself. These people's own behavior means they will be frequently short of cash, and therefore they will borrow chronically when given the opportunity. Because petty lenders provide these people with the opportunity to borrow, that doesn't mean that they cause this behavior. 
they simply provide an opportunity for this behavior to be exhibited more often than otherwise. This is sort of a classic example of correlation does not necessarily equal causation. Staying with activism against the industry for a moment, opponents and activists want to see caps put on loan rates, or they want to shut down the industry completely. First, why is it that you think activists want to see the industry controlled or shut down? And second, what do you think consumers will do if industry opponents are successful in shutting down the industry? Well, as far as why activists want to see the industry controlled or shut down, I think a lot of part of it is that they really do not understand the product nor do they understand how the economics of the payday loan industry works. A lot of the activists belong to the left wing of the political spectrum, nothing against that, but those arguments from that side of the political spectrum tend to be very emotional. What they hear are how, what the fees are, they translate them into an APR, they scream loan shark, and that's about where the investigation stops on their end. Uh, not to rag on Mr. Selman, but he actually made a, a really interesting statement. He, he was referring to a $500 loan with a $75 fee and said that as long as the customers make the fee payment, then the lenders are fine with it. That's how they make their money off the interest in the fees, and they could care less about the $500. Well, that's completely, it's completely false. The lenders do care about that $500 because if they don't get it back, that's the principle that they put out, and they're going to have a loss on the loan. The customer would have to loan the rollover, say, six times at that fee just to make back that principle. So again, not to rag on Mr. Selman, but it's an uneducated response to the realities of the economics of the industry. Now, as a caveat to that, there are two types of payday lenders out there. One is the legitimate businessman who understands the product and is there to help people. Once someone starts rolling over that loan multiple times, they're going to get a little nervous about getting the principal back. Sure, they're happy to keep collecting the fees and interest because they're going to make more money and then collect, hopefully, the principal at the end. On the other end of the spectrum, absolutely, there are many petty lenders who exist who will do anything they can to suck their customer for as much money as they can and then go after the principal once it seems like they can't pay anymore. So for the most part, customers, when they walk into a payday loan store, and there are a lot of them, so there is a choice, they really need to suss out who it is that's operating the store. Are they licensed? Are they bonded? And the consumers need to use their guts when they're looking at somebody in the eye. You can tell when someone is kind of a shifty, scruffy person, they don't keep their store very clean, versus a lender who welcomes you at the door, who sits you down at the table, who explains to you everything about the contract that you need to know. We deal with a client in Ohio who's like this. They really set the gold standard for customer care and service. If you, as a consumer taking out a payday loan, are not treated as a human being, you should not patronize that business. You should go someplace else. And that's true of any business besides payday loans. And those people who, are, who go into payday loan stores and find that kind of businessmen are going to find that they are a lot more likely to want to help you pay off the principal and fees because they don't want deadbeats. They want people to pay. So you asked, what will consumers do if the industry is shut down, which, by the way, can happen through an outright ban, or if fees are capped low enough so that uh, it's impossible to make a profit? There are three possibilities. The first is that the lenders, payday lenders, will find another method through which they can offer loans. We saw it in Texas with the CSO model, and we're now seeing it in Pennsylvania, where lenders were effectively outlawed, but Advance America found another product they could offer. And guess what happened in both Texas and Pennsylvania? 
the payday loan product or its close cousin is now more expensive than it was under the old system. Can you describe that loan a little bit for our listeners? Uh, Yeah, the Advance America loan in Pennsylvania, which is brand new, essentially gives consumers a $500 line of credit, if I understand it correctly, for a fee of $150 a month. So essentially, they're getting their money at now $30 per hundred borrowed, which is on par with what you see on the unscrupulous internet lenders from Advance America, which is a very reputable company. And in Pennsylvania, I believe the fee was $15 or $16 per hundred. Over in Texas, Uh, Under the CSO model, there is no cap, and generally we see the market charging about $20 per hundred borrowed, where previously it was about $17. For the who's at home, can you define CSO? I'm sorry, yes. Uh, CSO, what happened was back in March of last year, the FDIC, with no warning whatsoever, basically put out an edict which shut down what was known as the bank model. And what would happen under that model is payday lenders in a state like Texas, where interest rates were capped at 10% APR, would be able to import the interest rate from an out-of-state bank, such as a Republic Bank in Delaware. And therefore, because the Delaware Bank was really the one charging the interest, the payday lender was really only marketing and servicing those loans and sharing the income. So what happened was when the FDIC basically put the kibosh on this, the payday lenders very resourcefully and very quickly used a portion of Texas law under the finance code that allowed them to form what's called credit services organizations. So now people come into a payday loan store as they did in the past, and they become essentially a client of the credit service organization instead of the payday loan company. They fill out a bunch of paperwork, they get supposedly some kind of minimal credit counseling, but the real point is the CSO offers them an extension of credit through a third-party unregulated lender in Texas. And what happens is they are charged a fee, a credit service organization fee, that has no cap. And generally they're charged $20 for every $100 they wish to borrow. And they walk out of the store, as they always did, with their cash in hand because the CSO operates as an agent for the third-party lender. The second thing consumers will do is they'll they'll get their loans off the Internet. And although many of the Internet lenders will offer low rates for a first-time customer, after that first loan, the fee rates run into the high $20 and even $30 per hundred borrowed. You also have the added risk of identity theft because you really don't know who you're dealing with on the Internet. Many of them operate from offshore locations. The third thing is that consumers will go back to bouncing checks, which I believe your guests from Credit.com mentioned before. And that's what people did before the payday loan era. They'll write a bad check for each and every bill that they owe, hoping to pay it off for real when they get the next paycheck. Unfortunately, that bad check is going to generate an NSF fee of $25 to $30 from the bank and $15 to $25 from the merchant. That's 40 to $55 in fees per bill. Thank you very much. Let's talk legislation. We covered the recent regulations Bill Richardson pushed through in New Mexico in a previous podcast. To refresh our audience's memory, the main points of the regulations were, A, give consumers sole discretion to renew a loan two times at a maximum fee of $100. B, prohibit consumers from borrowing more than 25% of their gross monthly income. C, provide a payment plan of up to 130 days with no additional fees after a second renewal. And D, set a flat fee for new loan renewals at fifteen fifty per 100 So, Larry, what do you think? Did Richardson get it right? Is there an example of another state that has better regulation, or would you propose something completely different? Is there something another sector of the credit industry is doing effectively in this regard? 
Well, uh, you know, let me answer in two ways. Personally, and this is just a personal philosophical point of view, I'm very firmly in the libertarian camp on this issue. I don't believe the product should be regulated in any manner, which may surprise a lot of people. And the reason for that is, first of all, I don't know any other businesses in this country whose profits are regulated except for utilities, which are a necessary public service. This is America. It's the land of free enterprise. And if you create a product and there's a demand for it, I say let the law of supply and demand rule. When you uh, look at a state like Oregon, which until recently had no fee cap, were payday lenders charging $80 per hundred borrowed? No. The free market took care of itself. Rates settled in at about $20 per hundred. It's Economics 101. The, the true correct price for a payday loan is whatever the market will bear. Uh, I mentioned Dr. Thomas Lehman earlier in his article on in defense of payday lending, and he very eloquently stated, quote, in all likelihood, the borrower cares not what the effective APR is on the loan. The real price signal to which borrowers respond is the flat fee that is charged to hold the post-dated check. Values are subjective, unquote. And that's exactly how I feel. Values are subjective. People pay what they are willing to pay for something that they want or need. You know, I really believe that the burden is on the consumer to behave responsibly. It is not government's job to artificially intervene to remove the burden of reasonable behavior from the consumer. And as I've mentioned, when they do, the consumer often ends up paying more for a product that previously cost less. I mean, we don't see the government intervene like this in any other industry. And the problem I see is when you have legislation like this, it just perpetuates what I call the victocrat mentality, that people are victims and they need to be looked after by the government. That just creates dependence. It is not conducive to personal responsibility. And it's uh, pretty ironic, I think, that a lot of people who think that our current administration is fascist is asking for more government control over their lives. Now, let me move on to a more pragmatic perspective. New Mexico, at least, made a very smart move in that they allowed $15.50 per hundred borrowed as a fee. That is enough for payday lenders to stay in business, uh, as opposed to Oregon, where $6.50 per hundred, as mentioned, is not going to be enough to keep them in business. And it brings up an issue that payday lending opponents have really avoided entirely, which is the real hard numbers in the trenches um, of the average payday loan. So have your audience get a pen and paper and follow along with me. Let's look at these hard numbers. A moderately successful store that's been open, say, two years, is going to make about $2 million in loans every year. Now, let's say they're in a state of Ohio, maybe, which permits $15 per 100 borrowed. The average industry default rate is 5%. That's net of collections. So when you do the math, $2 million in loan fees, you're going to subtract 5% of that for defaults. That's $100,000. You're left with $1.9 million in loans. You multiply that by $15 per hundred borrowed, and what you end up seeing is that $285,000 of revenue is generated off those loans. Now, if you're running an efficient store and you're doing promotions, you're doing advertising, you're going to run about $10,000 a month in expenses at that store. So 10000 times 12 is 120000 You subtract it from your 285000 in revenue. So at the end of the year, that independent owner-operator, that small businessman, is taking home about $160,000. Now, mind you, he may have some sort of interest payments to make to a bank, and he's going to want to contribute to his 401k, maybe $20,000. He's going to pay about $30,000 in federal tax, income tax, and maybe 5000 in state tax. So at the end of the day, our one-store operator has made $100,000. Maybe he'll take it all home to his family because he's got a family to feed, or maybe he reinvests it in his store or other stores to expand. 
That's the real hard numbers at $15 per 100 borrowed. Now let's jump over to Oregon. When you cut those fees down to $6.50 per hundred borrowed, that same $1.9 million is only going to generate $125,000 in fees for the whole year. At $10,000 a month to run your store, our guy is out of business. He's gone. And that is what you are going to see happen in Oregon. Mark my words, unless the industry finds another way to offer a loan. Here's a quick question for you. There's this perception that the payday loan is so much more expensive than a bank loan. Can you run numbers quickly to tell us what a bank, if it were lending, would be making on that money? Well, that's difficult to say because when you're talking about a large institution like Bank of America, for example, there's such a gigantic operation that the cost, and this is speculation because I don't have the firm numbers in front of me, but the cost of Bank of America to make that kind of small loan and to run all the paperwork that they're likely to have to run through to make any money off of that customer, I would imagine that they would have to charge something like the same amount and possibly even more for a small loan like that, especially if it's uncollateralized. Now, I know that the folks over at credit.com, I think, disagree with that statement, but they're probably more tuned into that world than I am. From the payday loan perspective, as you can see, at 650 per hundred, he's out of business. At 15 bucks per hundred, he's making a very nice living. At $10 per hundred, our operator is only taking home about $60,000, and that's if he doesn't contribute to his retirement. It's enough to live on, but it's not enough to build a business on, and depending on where he lives in the country, it's going to be a struggle to perhaps raise a family of four or five. So to me, from a realistic point of view, anything below $13 per hundred makes no economic sense for a payday loan operator. I ask this next question of all our guests here up. What are the alternatives to payday loans, really? Let's say you're a consumer, no resources, bills due, credit scores awful, you need money fast, can't get the money from a relative or friend, you have no savings. What do you do? Do you have options to get credit besides a payday loan, real or fast options to get, let's say, 500 or even $1,000? Wow. You know, uh, I pride myself on being a pretty resourceful guy, and i got to tell you, given the parameters you've just laid out, I have no idea. I have no idea where I'd come up with that money. You know, if that leaves you with a payday loan as being your only opportunity, then I would repeat again, you've got to be a responsible consumer when you go and take out that loan. You have got to be absolutely certain that you can pay it back. Uh, in two weeks, so you don't roll over that loan. You are going to need to alter your budget for those coming two weeks accordingly because you're going to have to pay off that loan. And, you know, if you're in a state that has payday loans, you're not going to find any price variation within a state because all the lenders will charge the maximum allowable under the law. Maybe if you're close to the state line and you're next to a state that has lower rates for payday loans, you can drive across the state line and pick up a loan there. And, you know, at the end of the day, there's always the the world of the Internet, but I'm not really a big fan of that. Uh, a, A few of these websites will offer you a maybe $10 per hundred rate for your first loan. And there are maybe a few legitimate operators on the internet, but the truth is um, you've got to be extremely careful with the internet and internet lending. You need to determine, is the lender licensed in your state? Where is their corporate headquarters? Who's the president? That kind of information, the more you can reliably determine, the safer you're going to be. And a lot of that you can find on the internet. You've got to make sure they have proper internet security software. And you should ask these questions. If you get on, you get a call, call the phone number if you can with the people of that internet service. If you start getting any kind of evasiveness, hang up because they should be willing to offer you 
information that you are looking for uh, your payday loan, and if they're not giving it to you, then they've got something to hide. And of course, the worst case scenario is that it's an offshore entity and you have no recourse if you have your identity stolen. So to answer your, your initial question again, I, I don't know where else you go when you have those kind of parameters that you laid out. So basically, if you're to that rock bottom that you're going into a payday loan store, you're taking out the payday loan, you really should treat it as though it's an emergency and redouble your efforts to either make more money at your job, get a second job, something, first to pay off that loan, and then also to get yourself out of the hole. You bet. And uh, people in the payday lending industry, at least those operators who are honest, will tell you that the payday loan is intended for emergency situations only. Our client in Ohio, who I think I mentioned before, actually offers a free credit counseling seminar if you take out a loan. They're tremendously responsible in that regard. That's why we're doing business with them. And you have got to use it, a payday loan. I basically, what I tell people is if you're going to use a payday loan, you have to consider that this product should be used as carefully as if you were driving a car with your children in it. It's dangerous if you do not use it responsibly. And it is up to the consumer, as I said, to do that. So what would you say to that person that is starting to go to get a second payday loan at another store to help cover the cost of the first payday loan and additional expenses that they've uh, accumulated? I would say to that person... The first thing you should do is uh, go to a credit counseling service because a lot of those are, are free uh, and available locally and try to find a way out of your situation because if you're going for a renewal or a rollover, it's one thing to have a one-time emergency and yes, you know, disasters can happen and maybe you do need that second loan. But anything beyond that, you have to start asking yourself what you're doing, why you're doing it. And is there a way that you can work around that situation? And again, if you're dealing with a responsible payday lender, they hopefully will help provide some sort of alternative to you. I wouldn't count on that necessarily because they are in the business of making money, but it is, I would suggest to that person that they go and they get some counseling on how to pull themselves out of debt. Great advice. So what's next for the industry? Is it a case of payday lenders expanding their existing businesses? Are they diversifying into other industries? Where do you see the payday loan business headed in the next year and then maybe in the next three, four, five years? Well, despite being under siege in many states, payday lending is alive and well and growing at a rate of 15 to 20% annually. We have safe harbor legislation in 37 states, I think. There are about 22,000 stores in the country right now, and the latest projections suggest there's room for probably another 22,000. And we'll see that expansion over the next four to five years, at which point the market will probably hit saturation. From the perspective maybe of stocks, all the public companies are in great shape. They're doing very well. I suppose if you had to look at one, I would look at QC Holdings, which trades on the NASDAQ under the symbol QCCO. I think they're probably the most undervalued right now. This is where the tiny voice comes in and says that we are not endorsing this company. You want me to add that? No, no, it's okay. So from my perspective and what we're seeing on the ground, there is tremendous demand for the product. And despite the so-called consumer activists who are trying to take it away without perhaps realizing that they're taking it away, the demand exists and it's, it's growing. Larry, thank you very much for joining us. It's my pleasure, Will, anytime. This week's podcast did not have a sponsor. If you want to reach out to listeners who are interested in payday loans, cash advances, and the payday loan industry, please contact Robert James via the contact page on our website. 
If you'd like to make a donation to help keep PLIwatch.org running, please see the donations page on our website. Remember, visit PLIwatch.org for industry-independent news, RSS news feeds, helpful tips, and older podcasts. You can also take a look at our listings and reviews of payday loan vendors. This is Will Stotler for PLIwatch.org. Thanks for listening.